Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, June 18th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Today we talk about Mizzou, the SEC, and college sports with Tigers beat writer Suichi Tirada. It's been kind of a busy week in Missouri sports with athletes back on campus. Athletic Director Jim Sturck speaking to college sports issues at a forum sponsored by the Kansas City Public Library. Eli Drinkwitz and other football coaches holding Zoom conferences with media and former coach Gary Pinkle appearing on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. We cover all of that with Suichi. We'll also play a portion of the forum involving Jim Sturck and Kansas Athletic Director Jeff Long, which was moderated by former USA Today college sports writer Steve Weberg. All right, so let's get going. Hey, Suichi, how you doing? Not too bad, Blair. Uh... I keep coming back to the weather, but it's, it's getting hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, I, you're right. You're, you're a Michigan guy, Detroit, <laughs> and so you, I mean, you know about cold weather. You probably don't know about the heat that we're experiencing now, and in, in such a way. And um, I always tell people who aren't from this part of the country that we we do we have weather in the extremes. We have incredible cold, incredible hot, incredible wind. When it rains, it floods. When it snows, it blizzards. That sort of thing. And <laughs> and and speaking of blizzards, uh, I was struck by uh, a story that appeared in this morning's Kansas City Star that's online at KansasCity.com, and we will uh, obviously post a link to it in the show notes that you wrote involving an assistant coach, new assistant coach, like most of the assistant coaches at Missouri, football coaches are new, but um, – uh, Casey Woods, the tight ends coach, was on his way. This was back in, I guess, in January, right? Making his way from from Columbia to Kansas City to visit uh, a, a tight end who uh, who had committed to the tag, signed with the Tigers, but was in the hospital in Blue Springs. And uh, and Casey had quite an adventure. Why don't you pick it up from there? <laughs> That's a great segue from uh, whether to Casey Woods KC story. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this story just kind of fell into the media's lap yesterday. I think it was right at the end of Drinkwitz. So the way Mizzou does it, Drinkwitz was speaking for about 30, 35 minutes on the Zoom call, and then Casey Woods popped in because he was next on the schedule, I guess. And then Drinkwitz was asked about Casey Woods, and then K- Casey kind of. Or, or he dropped this kind of just a side, quick one sentence thing about an accident in the blizzard, something about Daniel Parker Jr. who was be- who was in the hospital because he had an eye infection, and so Casey Woods. We asked him about it, and then Casey Woods kind of went on this long story about how he was driving down on I seventy, then he got into an accident with an eighteen wheeler, which obviously he's fine. It wasn't too bad. He said he had a little bit of whiplash. But then he, he was in Odessa, a few miles out of Odessa, and then had to find his way from Odessa to Blue Springs, where eventually he was picked up. And it's this whole ordeal, very scary one, just because you, you never know what could happen in a blizzard-like conditions. But too kind of surreal just to hear what this guy is going through a few weeks after getting into Missouri from Alabama, of all places, where you're not going to get any snow. Um and there's a lot of twists and turns. I highly recommend reading the story just because I don't think I can do it justice. The, I think yeah. the funny thing too is that there are a lot of this, there are a lot of these moments that you were like, ah, that's kind of a weird thing. Like uh, one of the details that kind of struck me was one of his old Tennessee college roommates lives in the KC area. He was a former third round pick of the Chiefs, 
Brad caught him. Um, I think that's how you say it. Yep. <laughs> you know, there, there's just all these little details where you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And oh, that, that's what happened. Okay, now. <laughs> so I highly recommend giving it a read. Casey kind of, he talked about it with um, with kind of this jovial, <laughs> happy tone, I guess. But I, I think uh, he kind of realized how fortunate he was. Yeah, I mean, a few months later, he can... You know, he can look back on that moment and with and, and laugh a little bit about it and share the story. But the detail that that stood out to me reading reading your story was, you know, when he stopped, you know, he he bra- he braked uh, his rental car, uh, applied the brakes, stopped, and then he looked in his rearview mirror and couldn't see anything because the basically <laughs> was a whiteout at that time. And the next thing you know, there's an eighteen wheeler behind him, and that uh, and, and look, anybody who has uh, driven in snow or a blizzard knows the feeling and it's a really frightening one. Um, thankfully everybody was okay. And, you know, all's well that ends well. He ended up going to see Parker, I guess, in the, in the hospital and <laughs> fulfilling the mission that he started out, uh, started out with. So again, highly recommend you read the story and we've uh, linked to it here in, in the, uh, in the show notes. Hey, so it's been a, um, a week of interviews for, uh, for Missouri, and uh, like as you said, Eli Drinkwitz was was uh, on uh, on a Zoom call. We're still doing Zoom calls, right? On um, <laughs> on on uh, Wednesday, and the day before, on Tuesday this week, Jim Sturck, the athletic director, joined KU's athletic director Jeff Long in a forum at the uh, at the Kansas City Public Library, where the the topics ranged from. Uh, campus responses to uh, to Black Lives Matter protests, to the world in uh, the sports world in the COVID nineteen era, and of course the resumption of the border war rivalry between Missouri and Kansas. I was wondering, you I know you were on the uh, you were paying attention to the call that night, and I was too. I thought they were both really good uh, and informative, both Jeff Long and Jim Sturck. But I'm wondering if, if you heard anything from the athletic directors uh, that stood out to you, maybe in the way of um, returning to sports in, in the COVID pandemic world and, and the and this cautious steps that are going to be taken by by teams. And, and we'll just you know zoom in on Missouri here. Uh, the the importance of playing football of restarting it on time maybe without uh, without a hundred percent attendance or the 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 ability to have a hundred percent attendance what did uh, what did Jim Sturck say that uh, may have may have uh, been informative or made made an impression yeah admittedly so we actually got Sturck last week so in ter- in terms of just newsy items there there wasn't anything particularly new in that regard but yeah I I think it was pretty cool that we were able to see. One is KUMU, but we we, we we were able to kind of hear from two athletic directors from two different conferences. And I think right. that's a kind of an important distinction just because they spoke about it on it too. It's just that there's no uniformity in college football. I mean, you have 10 commissioners, you have 10 leagues uh, for, you know, Division One FBS and then all the other independent, <laughs> independent ones, including Notre Dame and all that. But, uh, you, you know, like the SEC has kind of been doing its own thing. I know the Big 12... I believe voluntary workouts started this Monday, whereas SEC started last Monday, and the NCAA approved it two Mondays ago. So it is kind of all over the board, and then you see kind of the Big Ten doing its own thing. So I thought that was kind of interesting in terms of just we don't know what it's going to look like. I think when you know when it comes to testing, how many people are allowed inside the stadium, like the SEC 
if the SEC has, you know, 75% of its capacity and to the Big 12 only allows 50%, what does that mean? And then you have all these hypotheticals that's still a little too early for, but I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it, I, I, I did enjoy the questions. The moderator kind of pushed them a little bit. I remember getting a text from another Mizupi writer. And he was like, these questions are pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, that 30 years of uh, uh, reporting experience was coming in handy. So I, you know, it, it it did seem like the athletic directors actually kind of shine some light on some stuff. And then some of the things that struck me about Sterk was just the football capacity. And I wrote about this too, Blair, about earlier this week, just about we, we talk a lot about SEC football and TV broadcast rights and the media deals. And that, and that is where the moneymaker is. That's, that's where, you know, you're going to hear about the millions of dollars being, being uh, dispersed in the SEC and between the 14 member schools. But, Ticket sales, that's a lot of money. I mean, I, I looked at the twenty the, the fiscal year twenty eighteen fiscal or twenty nineteen fiscal year, excuse me, that includes a twenty eighteen football season. Nearly a quarter of Mizzou's football revenue came directly from ticket sales alone. I think it was like twenty four point eight eight percent or something like that. So that that's that's a pretty significant chunk of change. I think if you were going fifty percent capacity, that'll probably go half and then who knows what will happen in terms of concession deals. And for Mizzou, you really have to realize this This is kind of a blow in the sense of they opened their South End Zone facility last year. And going forward, that was, that was a big ticket kind of, hey, fans, look at this new thing that you might not have been able to see before. Let, let, let's, let's bring in more money this way. And then I'm sure they'll kind of prioritize that. But that's just another thing when you stack it on top of Mizzou. You know, Drinkwitz being a first-year coach, and then you got this South End Zone facility. You're trying to make up money with the NCAA ban from last year. That's going to affect this year's fiscal cycle. There's a lot of different moving parts from Mizzou that you kind of look at it as a whole, and you're like, oh, man, that's just another thing James Sirk has to deal with. And I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit, which he uh, spoke about briefly on the on the call with Jeff Long. For sure. And the... You know, you're right. The moderator, Steve Weberg, um, uh, who spent 30 years as a uh, college sports writer for USA Today, and uh, and you'll hear uh, a portion of the uh, of the forum on after we take a break. But um, the, the, you know, we we were asked, we were hearing the athletic directors try to come up with answers to issues that. Um, look, fans want to know, media wants to know answers too, and, and they just don't have answers right now. Not all the answers. They, they, I think they gave what they could or, or expressed what they could, but there's just no way of knowing. They have to work within state uh, and local government guidelines, the CDC guidelines when it comes to restarting the season. I, it's I think it was smart for it's been smart for athletic directors and uh, those in professional sports to uh, to be optimistic, and especially when they see what's going on around the world. I guess the English Premier League soccer started up this week. We've already had, you know, German soccer, Korean baseball, you know, New Zealand uh, rugby. It, it's happening all over the world, and the U.S. is waiting for that. And of course. Baseball would be next if, if baseball gets its act together um, with the players and the players' <laughs> union and, and the commissioner. But then football is the one we're all waiting for, and um, that would be first week in September for college football. A week later for uh, for the NFL, and that's that's the sport we're all waiting for. They have had the luxury of timing here, 
and not having to cancel or postpone seasons, games. I mean, they had to, they had to do uh, things with all, you know off-season activities. Uh, but but now you know, kind of they're 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 getting to the point where decisions have to be made about these things. At least they're approaching that point, and they're finding that. It's just not easy. It's absolutely not easy for for ads people who are in positions of you know authority and people who speak. And it's it's uh, there are some tough decisions out there for for them um, in, in in the interest of safety and uh, and health. So hey, and Suichi. So we also heard from Drinkwitz, as we said, uh, new head football coach. I like the way you put it in your story. I mean, here's a guy who has. You know, his first year coach at Mizzou with with a new crop of assistants, obviously getting to know his players, and um, and what a year to, to have to do that, right? It's it just seems like a you know a bizarre time to be a first uh, time, not a first time, but a first year head coach at a, at a program, and you know under NCAA rules, he can't he can't directly deal with his players, or he has a very limited view of his players in, in this time um, because of he can watch what uh, is it eight hours of, of taped uh, practice or what would explain what, um, what what access Eli Drinkwitz has to his players yeah so when you hear voluntary workouts started last Monday June 8th for Mizzou that means they are able to go into the facilities but they are mainly the players are mainly only working with the strength and conditioning coaches which is an important distinction, right, Blair, just because you went through spring football practices, which were three of them, and you got hands-on coaching, football coaching then. But now this is, you know, this is just lifting weights, getting in shape, doing workouts. That's all they're, the players are able to do right now with the coaches. So the eight hours uh, that you mentioned is actually remote training work. So that's mostly been Zoom calls and everything like that. I, I, I believe, I want to say – the months kind of blurred together now, but I believe it started at two hours per week. Then they bumped it up to four and now we're up at eight and that, and they usually split that up with, you know, positional groups. Then they'll have big team meetings. So they, it doesn't go, obviously they don't go all eight hours at once, but usually it's like two on a Wednesday, maybe two on a Thursday and then kind of divvy it up throughout the week. But that's all the football coaches are allowed to get now. Soon it's sounding like the division one football oversight committee, I believe, finalize on Wednesday a new plan in terms of the practice plans and I I can't get into the details off the top of my head and nitty-gritty stuff but essentially it would be around a two-week ramp-up period in mid-July and then you're going to get a get into like a full speed kind of a training camp in early August ahead of that early September start so we're looking at a couple dates here in the next few days few weeks where it's going to be you know, kind of make it or break it, I guess, for college football, just because you know, if, if this proposal gets passed, and I believe it has, and it still has to get approved and all that things, then you're looking at a ramp-up period where you're like, okay, we're going to have college football. But, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen? We've already seen schools shut down voluntary workouts like Houston. So uh, right. I, I think that's kind of a difficult thing for the coaches just because – and Drink was mentioned this uh, on Wednesday Zoom call, like, he has contingency plans, but there's just so many ways this thing can go right or wrong that it's impossible to just have all of those plans just in set. So it's it's kind of it's it's such an awkward, un you know, I, I, unenviable position. Yeah. <laughs> Drink with us in just because you, you don't know what's going to happen next week or two weeks from now or mid July. Sturk mentioned is a uh, kind of the point where 
don't know if they'll have a season or not. And then we're, we're still kind of a month out of that, essentially. June, July 15th, I believe he said. Um, so here we are kind of twiddling our thumbs, just like Drinkwitz is. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, like I said, it, even coaches also are in a, in a tough spot as well. Okay, let's, and speaking of coaches, let's, uh, let's, let's wind down our, our chat with another piece of news that emerged this week with the announcement from the, uh, the National Football Foundation, the, the College Football Hall of Fame ballot was out, and Gary Pinkle appeared on the, in his first year of eligibility, appeared on the ballot. So, um, along with, I, I believe he was one of seven coaches from the uh, FBS ranks uh, to appear on the ballot. There are additional maybe dozen to 15 more coaches that are on the ballot. Those are from the other classifications, everything below the the football uh, bowl subdivision. So division two, three, NAIA, that sort of thing. Um, and, and the class typically uh, it takes two or three coaches every year into the into the Hall of Fame class. Um, this ballot also includes Bob Stoops, the longtime Oklahoma coach. And I think Bob Stoops is a slam dunk first ballot <laughs> guy. But I think Gary Pinkle is a very, very strong candidate. And I know you didn't cover Pinkle's years at Mizzou, Suichi. Um, but, you know, you've been in Columbia now for for several months. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have a thought on on Gary Pinkle and, uh, and, and that stretch of Missouri football from 2001 through 2015, his last year. You saw it from a distance, um, and not all of it, because you were just a kid um, <laughs> in, back in, in some of that. But, uh, but I'm wondering what your sort of impressions of Mizzou football under Gary Pinkle were from a distance. Yeah, I mean, when Gary Pinkle retired after the 2015 season, I want to say I was a freshman in college. So, uh, admittedly, I, I, I was not too in tune during the early Gary Pinkle years. But I, I, I think it's hard to deny Mizzou's success then. I mean, you're talking 07. Uh, I wasn't a huge sports fan back then, but even I knew Mizzou, KU, that, that was the thing to watch that year. And then you look at some of the first few years in the SEC in 2013 and 14. I had no connections to Mizzou at the time, and I was like, whoa, Mizzou. Dang, I did not expect them to be so successful. The right, moment, you know, the, Division yeah. champions, yeah. yeah two, the, in the, two in the SEC and, and two in the Big 12. For, for yeah. yeah, especially early in the SEC year. So that, that was kind of an eye-opener. Um, I hate to do this just because it's not our coverage area, but when I was talking to a few of my Mizzou friends, my Mizzou sports journals and friends, which there are many of, the way they kind of explained it to me was, Gary Pinkle is essentially Mizzou, Mizzou's Mark D'Antonio because I went to Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio is the winningest coach there. He he brought them to heights that Michigan State hadn't seen in decades, much like Gary Pinkle did. So I mean, you you and then obviously D'Antonio isn't the winningest coach at two different schools like Gary Pinkle is at Toledo and Mizzou, but that comparison always seemed kind of appropriate to me just because. You, you, you've got these, you know, legendary coaches at their institutions. They were there for so long. They set this kind of, they, they showed the schools could win at a high level. And that, that can be part of like the fan expectations. And I think that they kind of set that foundation. And, and it's interesting what Mizzou fans now expect out of this program the, the past few years, just because, I mean, the kind of the impression I got with Barry Odom getting fired was that, hey, Gary Pinkle could do this at Mizzou. We should expect this at Mizzou. And and 
and that's our you know that's that's our baseline level of hey this is us moving forward so i think he did a lot of good in that regard i think it's a good observation that it may be in another in another period in mizzou football history barry odom with the record that he finished with or, or, or that he had after three years uh, would have been good enough to continue but you're right because of the 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 standard that Gary Pinkle established going you know going to bowl games or having bowl seasons um, in I think it was 11 of his 15 years winning four division titles double digit victory seasons uh, always seeming to have a an NFL level quarterback that uh, that you know that's it just wasn't Barry Odom's uh, performance wasn't good enough and and so that's why Eli Drinkwitz is the new head coach at Missouri so. Uh, all right, Suiji. So, so we're going to hear from we're going to hear from Jim Sturk and uh, Jeff Long, the Kansas Athletic Director, and Steve Weberg, as we we've mentioned, gave him a plug earlier. The uh, longtime former the former longtime college sports writer at uh, at USA Today, who was the moderator of the forum at the Kansas City Public Library. We're going to do that after a break, and we're going to say goodbye to Suiji Tarada, who covers the Tigers for the Kansas City Star. So, Suiji, appreciate the conversation, man, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We are gearing sports back up, and you know we're we're hearing a lot now about about why that's happening, about you know the the, the kind of restoring restorative mental health qualities that that, that has, and um, you know it's an important signal that, that other elements of society can can come back. And right now, college football is scheduled to kick off with seven games August 29th. Uh, then it goes full throttle by Labor Day weekend. Uh, Saturday, September 5th, Mizzou opens at home. Central Arkansas are scheduled to Kansas versus at home against uh, against New Hampshire. Uh, there seems to be a universal optimism that we're going to see at least the start of a college season. Um, you know, is the, is the season indeed on unless there's some significant COVID surge between now and then that that, that stops it? Is are we operating under the assumption that it's a, that it's a full go? I, I would say I, you, you said it right. I, I think unless there's there's something from the uh, the pandemic and the the Center for Disease Control um, puts a stop to it, uh, where there's a complete change of what the momentum is is going now, where the momentum is going now, I, I think we do have a season. And you think about it, um, two months ago, if if you had three positive tests, well, basically we shut shut down the the men's basketball tournament you know in march and and now we're we're kind of everyone is kind of working through those things and and have a lot more uh, knowledge uh have have 
precautions, if you will, of what what needs to be done. And and by two months from now, three months from now, we're going to know a lot more, and and hopefully it'll be in a positive way, and and we'll be able to continue to move forward. Yeah, Steve, I would say that I'm positive. I think each day that goes by, I think we we as college uh, administrators, coaches, and student athletes feel more positive. But I think candidly, we wrote, we really don't know as we begin to um, you know come back, socialize. When we be when we move from weightlifting, which is done in groups of ten, you know, uh, six feet apart, and when we come back to blocking and tackling and hitting and uh, I'm not sure we really do know what's going to happen. Now, we have our medical professionals. Both of us have our medical professionals in place, and they'll be guiding us every step of the way. But we are hopeful. We're planning, and, and I'm sure like Jim, we're planning on for 100% occupancy of our football stadium, but we're also planning for as little as 20%. And we're getting pressured now for answers. What's it going to be? Well, the answer is we don't know, and we won't know till we're close to that September 5th starting date to know what our uh, what our stadiums are going to look like as far as entry into it in fans. And we don't know what the impact of practicing close quarters, hitting, tackling, all those things will have on a team. And, you know, so I, I think things are positive, but uh, they're far from certain that we will get this uh, season started on September 5th. And I think it's it's uh, more likely that some teams will start and some teams won't. And we'll see people during the season have to uh, miss a game. And so I think all of those scenarios have been played out, you know, uh, at all of our conferences. I know the A5 conferences are talking uh, almost daily. And then uh, so so a lot is unknown, but I would say that it's positive at this point. We're moving in a positive direction. So, I mean, the pro sports, you know, they have a commissioner who says we are starting the season here with this. College sports don't have that. That's one of the complications. I mean, is there is there supposed to be or will there be an official pronouncement? Yes, there's a season. It's starting August 29th. Uh, and, and who makes that decision? Is that uh, is that consultation among the... 10 conference, major conference commissioners in the, in the case of uh, the uh, bowl subdivision, the NCAA bowl subdivision? Well, I, I thought that it's the former chair of the, the bowl um, selection committee. I thought that he had that, that right. Well, I, I, think he's, I think he's accepting all, all controversy, all complaints about selections from here into the future, but I'm not sure about declaring the start to the season. Yeah. So... Jeff, we'll give them your, we'll give them your email and, and uh, cell phone uh, at the end of this program. Well, as long as you don't send it to uh, TCU or Baylor, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the question, uh, who makes the call? And does it, is there an official call that's made? Yes, we start August 29th. You want to start, Jeff? Go well, ahead. yeah, I'll say it this way, and Jim can certainly add to it, and I'm sure he will. But, uh, Steve, really, to answer your question, I, there is not one entity that will decide. Now, you know, as we look at that, there's so many layers. We're getting information and rules from the NCAA, and we also get it from the from our own conference. 
and then we have the group of A5 commissioners that will uh, be meeting, and then we have the whole 10 commissioners that also will be meeting, and then it comes down to states. In our state of Kansas, it, it would have rested with the, the governor. She has, uh, since early on, taking control and doing, I think, doing a fine job. She has now rest that authority in the county, so the county medical officers. So they'll make decisions that come down to the university, that come down to, in Kansas's uh, case, uh, what we call Kansas Team Health, which is a, a medical partnership between uh, University of Kansas Health Systems and the Lawrence Memorial Hospital System. And those doctors will make decisions on down to the athletic director uh, to make final decisions. So that's why I say state by state, you'll see some institutions being able to play and the, their opponent is in a good place and they can play and they can they can play that contest contest on Saturday. But in other states, they're going to have a a uh, situation where the county health or the state or the governor, um, you know, says they can't play that game. So I do think it's going to be a varied season. Uh, there are, I know there are conferences and scenarios being discussed where, you know, some conferences, because uh, teams can't play, may play a t an opponent twice in their conference. So there's a lot of scenarios out there being explored. And again, at the end of the day, on, uh, July, on June 16th, we don't know, but we're certainly planning and spending a lot of time, effort, and energy planning for the unknown. Yeah, as Steve, Jeff, Jeff said it, explained it very well. There's eight layers of, of approval, basically, that'll, that will go through. And um, just like the Big 12, but, but the SEC has a medical task force, and they have a great group of, of folks that are, that are help guiding us back towards repopulation of our student athletes. And then they're, they're looking at um, contests in the future and how we might, might be able to do that and how it might work. But... Yeah, they're, the biggest thing will be adjust and pivot, and we'll probably be doing that a lot this season. So on the surface, it, it, it seems more understandable that, that, that the pros are returning. If there's going to be sports, that it's pro sports. I mean, they're pros. They're salaried. The, the, the players are salaried. You know, and the NFL and the NBA and, and, and Major League Baseball, if owners and players can ever work out an agreement, which isn't certain at this point, um, you know, they can maintain uniformity in practice regimens and scheduling and pretty much every other area, avoid the messiness that you just alluded to. But, and this is part of that messiness, college athletics is aligned with higher education. And getting football and other sports back up and running and, and doing it safely would, would seem to be secondary to getting the academic enterprise back on its feet. And beyond that, the athletes aren't salaried. They're not unionized like the pros. They didn't have, don't have the same say in, in, in mapping out the terms of returning to practice and ultimately returning to play. As you just alluded to, you can't dictate the consistency from school to school or conference to conference, including even whether every school will field a team, as Jeff said. Scheduling will be uneven. There seems to be wide concern, again, as, as you all have pointed out, that after starting, season could be interrupted or halted by a second virus spike. So with all of these complications that pro sports have and so much still not known about COVID-19, why not take a year off? 
why not let things settle down, hopefully get a vaccine and reboot this time next year? Well, I, uh, let me start and then Jeff uh, will, will um, certainly be a lot more articulate on it. But uh, for us at, at Mizzou, we have we started to repopulate our student athletes as our vet med students were coming back. So the doctor um, that was overseeing uh, the repopulation of the campus was giving us advice, was giving um, the ac academic side advice as well. And so so it's not, uh, I think it, there'll be there'll be sports as long as the campuses are open. And, and for us, it'll probably be a blended um, type of return. And But our, we're planning on having the students back. And so um, if the students are here and we had a group come last week, uh, they're very excited to be here and they feel they're a heck of a lot safer than where they are um, when, when they're home. So they feel like they're, they're, uh, they have the medical attention, they have the physical attention, they have the coaching attention uh, here. And so they were excited to be back. And so we're, we're part of the academic enterprise, just like you, you said, we're, we're not different. And so I think that those, um, those student athletes want to be here. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett, tip of the cap to Suichi Tirada for stopping by to talk all things Mizzou sports. Links to stories that he's written about Missouri can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. It still stands, and it's a good one. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage, and that includes the Sports Extra with the E-Edition. There's more than 20 additional pages of national sports coverage today. Well, here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage. The details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That is account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back Friday with another episode. Music.